As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by a happy Sab Stafford, Sab Stafford Bloor. I am happy. Thank you, Joe. And a less happy JJ Bull. Yes. Hello there. How are you? Yeah, fine. Good. Difficult result to take on a difficult evening. I, uh, I really thought we might have won today. And that was, I should have known that was never going to happen. Why didn't I know? The thing is, though, you've got to wear your heart on your sleeve and be vulnerable, otherwise you'll never love. I know, but then it's easier to be be numb and neutral all the time, and then that way you don't have to deal with being happy or sad. It's easier in these moments, but then you wouldn't experience the joy of Scotland eventually winning the World Cup in 2040. Yeah. There we go. You know what's interesting, Joe? Like, even despondent, unhappy JJ is about 900% more fun than Alex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's Alex like when his team loses? No one. He, Alex, no, he, Alex is numb all the time. That's what this, Alex, this is. A very thing. neutral. It's a very neutral. Like yeah. JJ's smiling, and that's Alex will get angry in moments when yeah. uh, when, when his team it, does something bad. But afterwards, it's like nothing's happened. Nothing ever happened. Mm. He just he he glares at well us sometimes, but also <laughs> the television. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, welcome to the podcast. We're going to be talking about England uh, today and how England progressed through uh, the group in first place. Possibly a mistake. We'll come to talk about that a bit later. <laughs> now that Croatia have finished second, of course, I think they're going to make it further than we will. Uh, we're also going to talk to JJ about what happened in the uh, Scotland-Croatia game. Seb and I haven't seen that, and I imagine some of the, or, or many people, I suppose, listening to the podcast probably won't have seen it either. So we'll get the uh, the lowdown from, from JJ a bit later. And then later on, we'll come to talk about UEFA again, uh, and uh, the uh, situation around the Alliance uh, Arena. So that's going to be fun and exciting for yeah, us. Yeah, sure is. Uh, but you know what else is fun and exciting for us and other people? Is it the Athletic? It is the Athletic. Um, it really, And you know, it, I think I've had one of the most fun reading the Athletic days of all time today. Do you know why? Tell me about it. Why? Because Yaya Torre wrote an amazing article about why bums are so important in football. And uh, I really, really loved it. And you know what? It's analysis I've never seen before. Tell me more about it, please. Well, it was just about the use of the bum and how a smaller player... So, for example, there's a line in the article about how, like, Eden Hazard has almost become... It's almost become kind of a meme that he's got quite a big bum, Eden Hazard, as he's running. Or at least he runs with his bum in a a sort of strange way. And Yaya Torre points out that it's totally crucial to the way that he plays football. Uh, He's quite short, but he's got a low centre of gravity. And he's able to hold off multiple people... With his bum, pushing his bum out, you know? It's quite, I'd, I'd never, I, I guess I kind of knew that backing into people, but the way that Yaya Torres put it, it's lovely. So if you want to read that, uh, you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, and uh, you can do so by getting a, a 30-day free trial. So if you want, you can read that and then cancel it and never come back. But you won't want to do that because it's very, very good for long time, for long time. 
So visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Anyway, uh, we are going to uh, move on now, uh, get to grips with this today's episode. Some joy, some misery, and uh, hopefully some middle stuff in the middle as well. And it's all going to be lovely. So uh, I will leave you in the uh, the warm hands and the cool embrace of Seb Stafford-Bloor and JJ Bulver-Bullard. Okay, let's begin uh, with uh, England 1, nil uh, Czech Republic. This was an interesting game to watch. And Seb, it started like a game that I thought was going to give me my 5-0 that I predicted. And then I remember the same thing kind of happened in the Croatia game and to a slightly less exaggerated extent happened in the uh, Scotland game as well, minus all of the goals. Um, But I'm wondering now if this is a game management thing because it felt like very strong out of the gates. Uh, Sterling had that chance at the beginning where he he hit the Mm -hmm, post. mm -hmm. And for the first uh, 15, 20 minutes, England looked like they were right up for it, well on top of the game, incisive passes through the middle, not quite gung-ho, but, you know, they looked like they were going to score goals. They got their goal, of course. Uh, But then in the middle of each half, there's just a big lull. It's slightly different in the second half. Is this a game management thing, do you think? Because it seems very similar in all three of the games so far. It has done. And actually, it was so positive for those first 15 minutes. You stood up and shouted, it's going to be 5-0 yes. at one point. Yes, I did do that. It's, it's hard to say because you. it feels as if... It should have been. It should have been. I, I felt like England had the chance. If England had stayed in that gear, which was kind of, say, fourth or fifth gear, Czechs looked really vulnerable because I, I think yeah. the, difference, the difference between this game and the game against Scotland was just the intensity of those front four players. Yeah. Um, one of the things that really surprised me was that Great to see Jack Grealish playing, but with Grealish, you you kind of expect a little bit of a luxury item, someone that's mm-hmm. going to be you know predominantly effective with the ball. But he was really intense. I, I'd love yeah. to see the number of pressures he's he managed in you know the first half. But yeah, and then they drop back down the gears, and I don't know. Like it's it's uh, I think the tournament will will prove this one way or the other. I mean, it's certainly a pattern that they shared with the Croatia game. Um, but at the same time, it also felt as if the balance got slightly wrong because, yes, the intensity dropped a little bit, but there was no counterattacking threat really yeah. after about 25 minutes or none that I remember, um, which felt like a failing because ordinarily you'd expect, right, drop into a, a sort of a lower block, compact the middle of the pitch and then use your wide players to spring out of defence. And that didn't really happen, which made me think that it was partly game management possibly, but maybe also a little bit of a loss of control. I think the second half was game management. I mean, we can come on to talk about the uh, the systems used and the way that that impacted the game. But bringing Henderson on, it really mm-hmm. felt like uh, England wanted to control the ball a little bit more. Because I think it's, in some ways, when I said it should have been 5-0, that's probably a little bit unfair to, to the Czechs. It, could, it should have been 5-2 or 5-3. Or, you know, they definitely had their chances. And England looked a little bit shaky at times. Yeah, Sarchak had that, um, that snapshot on the edge of the box, um, which might have been ruled out because of the high foot on Luke Shaw, possibly. Mm-hmm. But there were moments, and um, Jordan Pickford had that sort of nervy, double-fisted punch where it looked like he kind of jumped a little bit too early. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think England were that convincing. I thought they were a little bit fragile in the middle. Uh, and I, on the one hand, great to get Henderson on pitch because he's going to be useful yeah. and you need players to play when they're coming back from injury. Scored his offside goal too. Scored so his offside his goal, absolutely, which, is, which was nice. Also, he played quite well. He... Um, the chance he created for, uh, I think it was... Kane. R- yeah, for, it was yeah. for Kane. That caught your eye. Uh, and so that was good. But I felt as if the, the change in balance in that England midfield disrupted things a little bit because it went from yeah. Rice and Phillips to Henderson and Phillips. And it seemed as if Phillips then took on the deeper role, dropping back with the centre-halves and taking the ball off them. And Henderson was more of a kind of a tweener, a shuttling type of player. Uh, and it seemed to disrupt England a little bit. But... You can't really criticise it, can you? They got away with it. They got through. The Czechs had moments. I would never say they were particularly dangerous. I never felt no. I never felt anxious. Sure. I mean, even for me, you know what I'm like at the end of games with, you know, the hands on the head and the anxiety and the, the shouting and the jumping and all that stuff. And yeah, you looked anxious. <laughs> but I didn't really I didn't really go to that next stage of yeah. I didn't there was no swearing or shouting at the TV. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, there was none of that. Of course you've already pulled all of your hair out, so I don't have any more to lose. Exactly. Exactly that. So we, we kind of, in a way, I win. Seb Stafford you know. nothing to lose. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the different uh, setups here too, because mm-hmm. one of the things that was uh, nice about seeing 
Jack Grealish start the game. And we should mention, I mean, we've no idea what Gareth Southgate would have done in a different scenario. But of course, Mason Mount was unavailable for selection as he was self-isolating. So it kind of forced uh, Southgate's hand a, a little bit, you would yeah. imagine. It was quite nice to see uh, Jack Grealish starting there, but it completely changed the setup. For, for only a small tweak, it felt very different in that first half before Grealish came off because they had him in that free 10 role. Kane was extremely deep at times. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the, the two wingers uh, were slightly more disciplined in their role, so it wasn't entirely fluid. But it felt like he Grealish was more separate from Phillips and uh, Rice. Phillips, who stayed a lot deeper in this game, than Mount has been in the in the previous games. It, it, it looked like, if not an entirely different England, like quite a different approach based on what we've seen previously. Yeah, you pointed this out because in the beginning of the game, I thought it was more of a midfield three with with Grealish at the tip of, of that of that sort of unit. In reality, um, Don, our producer, looked this up at uh, half time, and while sort of Saka and Sterling were playing from their respective sides inwards, Grealish and Kane were really the ones that were swapping vertical roles. Um, that was very interesting. We've talked about his pressing, which is another fascinating point, actually, because it was at times it was Jack Grealish doing his best Mason Mount impression. Yeah. Because that's what you associate with Mount alongside um, what he does with the ball. He is an aggressive presser. And discipline, right? Yeah, discipline. Just a more sort of more of a stable player, whereas Grealish is a little bit more schemey, a little it's bit chaotic. More, a little bit chaotic. What, I, what, I, what was really encouraging, though, and we criticised England for this after the Scotland game is... They never got close to that pocket of space in front of the box. Yeah. And I looked up the the touch map at the end of the game, um, well, after Jack Grealish went off, and it's littered with little touches just to the left of the D in the, exactly the area that you want him. Because Give me the numbers, Seb. Don't have the numbers. I just have a uh, a, a little chart which I can describe. What, which Grealish's is, numbers? I don't have his statistics. Oh, I you've ha- written them down here. Have I indeed? You said that only nine of his 37 touches were in England's half. 15. Oh, I see. I mean, third. in the position they were, yes. So oh, he see. had I'm sorry. Um, 37 touches altogether, nine in his own half, which is great. Means England were playing high. And 15 of those, approximately, don't quote me on that because I had to estimate it, were in the final third. And the point I'm trying to make is that they're in the area where you want Jack Grealish, which is mm. to the left of that D because he can cut inside and he can shoot potentially or. Uh, or threaten to shoot, post, which is as shoot, good often. Suck defenders in, uh, slip the ball across, create a shooting opportunity. Or he's good enough to kind of carve into the penalty box down that left-hand side or uh, find somebody on the overlap, which is kind of how the first goal came in, Yeah, uh, was, was scored. And it was it was great. And I, I said to you, actually, I think probably just before half-time, wouldn't it be terribly unfair if Mason Mount lost his England place because of Billy Gilmore? Yeah. But... I think Grealish this evening played a role that a lot of people haven't thought he was able to fill. Probably including Gareth Southgate, because if you remember, it seems a long time ago now, but Southgate took a long, long time to trust Grealish and to think that he was worth worth even um, experimenting with in in a squad. Well, you can see the difference too, right? And that's because, you know, the the main difference here in this game being that Calvin Phillips is clearly a lot deeper in this game. And he's obviously been, that's his remit, he's been told... Don't push up as much. You don't have to. Because is ahead of you. Like, but, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I guess that is an indication of, of of maybe how what Gareth Southgate trusts those two different players to do. Let's let's have that comparison now, though, right? Because yeah. we're going into uh, the round of sixteen. Uh, we don't know who's going to finish second in in Group F, but it could be anyone. It could be anyone. Technically, I have a dreadful it's feeling. Against France, France, it's right? be France yeah. uh, against France, presumably you want Mount to play. I don't or do know. You, or do you need, like, what, well, what I saw from Grealish today were those, here's my main point on the comparison between the two of them, right? And this is not a tactical point, and Alex would slap me on the wrist if uh, if he was here when I was saying this, but the opposition defenders are afraid of Grealish. Yeah. And you can see it, and it changes the way that they play. It changes the way that they react to him having the ball, and it creates chaos. And whether whether that amounts to anything or not, you can, like, they're just not, it's not, this is not a criticism of the way that Mason Mount plays, they're just not afraid of him in the same way that they're afraid of Jack Grealish. And that that gives me, I don't know, it gives me something. Yeah, it gives you something to hang a hat on. I think I think the difference is, and I, I think Mason Mount is a lovely player. I think he's fabulously talented and in ways that he's not given credit for. He actually has quite a lot of flair, it's just not in the same way that Grealish sure, does. Yeah. I, I, I think he has Mount, smaller thighs. Yeah, he does. And, and calves. Yeah. Different and legs hair. overall. Different hair. Different hair. Yeah. Um, I think I, I see Mount more as a system player, as a component, whereas Grealish, I think you kind of, he's not quite a sort of a free roll, freewheeling, do what he likes kind of player, but there is that element where you think 
if you place him, if you, if you yeah. put him in a side in that position, you have to build some compensations around him. But the trade-off is he can win you the game. Do you know you what know? he is? He's the star of the show in yeah. a game where Sterling and Saka were the stars of the show. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. He never stops being the star of the show, even if he isn't actually the star. I think some of it's latent, though, because there's this excitement. There's a kind of residual excitement in having mm. Jack Grealish on the pitch because you think he could do something. Like, he may not do now, but every time every time he gets the ball at his feet, you watch. And there aren't that many players in English football like that who who just command your attention in that way. Uh, and I... I say this kind of not in a, you know, in a, as a judgment as to who should be playing for England. I just prefer watching Grealish. He entertains me yeah. more. He's um, he's more my kind of player, I think. But I, I'd say, look, if it is France, I, I think we can assume Mount will play just because I think Southgate will trust Mount um, to work without the ball better, even despite what we've seen tonight. I think it's... Um, I think he would technically finish his isolation the day before the game, though, right? It's difficult. It's difficult. I don't know how much we... Uh, so, you know, talking now, we don't know how much training they're allowed to do, or what the whether it is literal isolation, yeah, um, or whether there's a the possibility to get them running and to keep them fit. Because that seems, I mean, if if they have how, how ten days off, uh, that's the end of a tournament because you can't recover so fitness. Presumably, it's a wonder if he's at home. Uh, I never have London, no right? idea. I mean, it, it, this this is kind of. This describes the situation, though. Yeah, it's we don't know. Baffling. Okay, it's it's very very strange. But well, in which case, then let's let's be a little bit more um, uh, theoretical. I, I want to bring JJ into the conversation just briefly. I know you didn't see this game, JJ, but if you were asked to choose between starting uh, Jack Grealish or or, or uh, Mason Mount, knowing what they might bring differently to a game, yeah. Um, and let's assume that whoever we face in the next round, England, I should say, whoever England face in the next round, they're going to be a difficult opponent, given that they're coming out of Group F. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, they're all these players sort of similar positions. Very I thought there was a real chance players. you might just say, "I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> That's the obvious joke. I'm going to go for more subtle ones than that. Uh, I think the thing with Mount is I think he creates things kind of two passes before, like his numbers never huge for goals and assists, right? But he creates things a couple uh, of passes before. You know, before the finishing move, whereas yeah. Grealish is the guy usually at the end of it, the second, the, the actual assist, or the guy in the end of it. He's visible. And also, Grealish will. Uh, the reason defenders are scared of him is because he'll run directly at them, and because he's confident he'll go past them, and often does, or he, or he just goes through them. Yeah. Whereas Mount, I think if he has, he's running towards people, he'll run away from them into space. So like they can, they'll show him away, and he'll go there, and then he'll play a pass. So Mount sort of gives you better protection against good teams like France, because he's going to be deeper when he makes those runs, and he works, I think he works far better in the press, because he just seems to have more, seems more more aware of it, not like Grealish isn't, because it's, I don't, there's a, it's easy to write off players who, who look as skillful and elegant as Grealish yeah. and just assume they don't work, they all do, but some just have this little bit in them, that, a bit of you know, anger that helps them, uh, and maybe just tactical discipline, and just being quite in tune with the game, so I think a, a team like that, you'd play Mount, but I, I, I mean, you can play I think Southgate's being so conservative with it, probably rightly because it's a, t a cup. It's so boring to watch as neutral. Like, I know Portugal quite, they, they hold themselves in, but England were awful against Scotland, like yeah. dreadful. And uh, everyone's talking about how good Scotland were. It's because England were bad. And then you have, like, I didn't obviously didn't see this game, but I mean, 1-0 Czech Republic, who are a lot better than I think we've seemed to have thought they would be. But... Maybe that's just game management and maybe changing bits in the midfield is to try and control the game rather than let them come at them. But you can play Grealish as an eight and get them forward. You can have Phillips, Phillips behind them and hold it. You can put your fullbacks up. Like the way Italy are playing, it's really aggressive. Surely enough, you're going to leave yourself open to counterattacks, especially. But I don't... They could just do so much more. You can play Foden wide left. You can have Sancho on the right. You can have Kane there. I mean, Sterling scored again. So you have him in there. Rashford came in for him, didn't he? Just played yeah, the left. Yeah, I think so. Minimal touches. Jaden Sancho came on for the last sort of eight or nine minutes as oh, well. That's good. Yeah. yeah, one of the best players in the <laughs> players in the world for eight minutes. So you need. So you have Calvin Phillips, right? And you're saying he was playing deep, but his touch map shows that he was, well, especially early on, it seems to be he was getting forward to the right, and it's his pass from the right wing that kind of sets that the the move up for the goal that Sterling mm. plays. And then you see Grealish should swap with Sterling because Sterling's going as a, as a centre-forward position next to Kane for that goal and then Grealish sort of holds back next to him but rather than going wide left like Sterling might he gets in amongst it in the kind of 10 slot which is how he's able to then win the header and then get on the ball to come back into it I think if you're we'll probably coming to this with Scotland if you're a bit braver with your with your selection 
and play more of your attacking players and you push, you actually are more defensively sound sometimes because you push the other opposition yeah. back. Yeah. Like if you don't take the risks, you don't get any rewards. It's very obvious to say, but... It's kind yeah. of what we were saying last night though, isn't it? Because it's it's this choice between letting the opposition worry about what you have at the top of your formation versus, or oh, let's 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 make a selection which is focused on what we're going to face. Mm. And I feel like the longer you go into a tournament, the more of a problem that will ultimately become. I always think back to that 2018 World Cup semi-final and the kind of substitutions that were made in that game and what England might have achieved from a winning position. And it became it was almost as if they got to 1-0, they scored the free kick, and they thought, oh my goodness, we might be in a World Cup final in a few days. Let's hold this. Let's just, you know, on comes Eric Dyer. You yeah. know, it, it's, a, it's a thing that Southgate has to get rid of. Um, it has to, has to get over, because I think there's, there comes a point where if you want to win games that actually matter, beyond just group stages and games you're expected to win, you have to be brave enough to make a decision which might make you look silly. I don't agree. No? I don't agree. They got to the semi... I know I said this yesterday, but, do you think but they got good to the semi-finals in the World Cup playing oh. that way. I, like, I know it's boring, and I, I agree with that. Like I would, All I want to see watching the game tonight is just to watch them be unshackled. If they played and one good team before they got to that semi, they would have not okay, the Colum- Colombia were a good team. Colombia were a good team. I felt like Colombia were a good team, but Quintero wasn't there. Hamas Rodriguez wasn't there. Uh, like I, Colombia were the best team England faced, definitely. And I, I, I really, I got a bit annoyed with the kind of haven't faced anybody. It's like, well, so you know that that annoyed me too during the World Cup. But at the same time, like you gotta feel like tournaments reward bold decisions. And I want to see what England can do. I want to see. England... I just don't feel like that though, and I don't no? think the evidence shows that that's the case but either. I tell you what, like. Okay, put it this way: If England, the thing is, if England remain conservative and focus on what they what they can stop an opponent doing, do you trust the defence to hold? I'm not saying that I do. No. I'm just saying that it is it is as legitimate, if not more, a legitimate tactic than doing the opposite of that. We've seen so many winners of the Euros and of the World Cup playing in precisely uh, this conservative way. We know that international football is slightly more conservative. When we talk about the game management stuff, it's managing you know, uh, players' exhaustion over, a, over a, mm-hmm. a short period of time where there's lots of games. Again, I say, uh, really wanting not to repeat myself from yesterday, um. haven't conceded a goal. They haven't conceded a goal yet. They played Croatia, who are not a terrible team. They've beaten Scotland by three goals to one this evening, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They've got great players in their team. Uh, that even Perisic is, uh, apart from his lovely little chest back to the goalkeeper in that second game, <laughs> scored a fantastic goal. We saw Modric's goal. We'll come on to talk about that this evening. It's a fantastic goal, right? The Czech Republic put two past Scotland as well. We know that they have players who can who can take those shots as well. Uh, and uh, again, Scotland are no slouches either. So they haven't conceded a goal. I know it's boring. I, I don't mind the boring joke. On, they're through on seven points top of the group, right? It, it's not that... Why wouldn't I trust the defence? I think because if you look back at the teams that, you're quite right, like international football is quite conservative. If you look back at the teams that have prospered playing that way, you find probably a better standard of goalkeeper, better fullbacks. Greece. We're talking about Greece. I mean, Greece, that is a it? long time ago, though. Like, that's. <laughs> it's, it's I like mean, it, it's only 20 years ago. ago. Like, it's, it's Portugal uh, had a better backline than, uh, than England do and a better goalkeeper than England do. I what, think they also. Four years ago? <sighs> Five years ago now? I would say so. Yeah, I don't agree, and I, 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 not to. I might be being negative about England, hard, but I think but like I find it, I find it weird that we're having a conversation about whether we trust the defence or not when they've gone through the group stages without conceding a goal. I suppose it comes down to have England faced a not even an elite centre forward, a an eight out of ten centre forward. I think Patrick <laughs> Schick is kind of heading in that direction, but this this is the kind of the curse. Like if you if you watch enough. England tournament efforts. I know you invariably worry. I might very trauma. well. Be, I get but it. I, I, I might, I might well be. Um, this might just be a kind of a a manifestation of just the wounds that I've carried over the years. <laughs> but it just like I, I think back to Germany 2014. You have like a lot of really good players in the defensive on the sort of the other side of the ball in their primes. 2018, probably the same thing. I would say with France. Like yeah. if you look at, they had a lot of other things too, of course, but. They just seem stronger than England. Whereas I look at where the strength of this England side is and the kind of this array, JJ mentioned it, the array of different attacking options and the quality and the goals that could come out of it. And you think, if I have to pick a way forward that makes me feel a little less worried, it's that one. I'm not, I don't mind. It can be, if England were to win a European Championship, bore me to death. Couldn't care less. 
Fantastic. Think, actually, it's, it's just about... Well, what, what I've seen in this England is that they, they, only, they don't really... They can't really go up gears or anything. They yeah. just sort of play constantly in this two or three. Maybe that's manager's thing. But I think the best teams can go through it and they read the game. That's part of management where you come and go. And it's not just like the defence is what you... Like you don't trust the defence. It's the entire team. And Southgate wants the entire team to be this rigid... Um, not necessarily conservative, but like you might win the game if you don't concede. Like you've more chance. It's the Mourinho style of thinking. Like the the person, the team who makes the most mistakes is the one that's going to lose. Yeah. So you need to be able to take advantage of that. If you want to play in the counter, you've got pace to do it. You've got players like Kane who will. Like you, so bad teams play like that on, you know, conservatively and defensively to make sure there's no holes and gaps so they can't get cut open, um, and they often win games that they shouldn't win. If you have great players and do the same thing then you've got a far better advantage or chance of winning because in theory your players are much better going forward so you should be able to score more. Yeah. So I see exactly the logic behind it. It just sucks because they've got so much better players than what Scotland yeah, I, know, I, I know. And it's I know, and it's boring to watch at times as yeah. well. But we started this conversation by talking about game management, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And England are yet to be a goal behind in this tournament, right? England are yet to desperately need to score a goal. I know that the Scotland game was boring nil-nil, right? They didn't need to score a goal. They were effectively qualified after drawing that game. We ha- we're yet to see what Southgate's response to a dire scenario is. If we do face France in the uh, in the round of 16 and uh, you go, go a goal down in the first or the second half, I think we'll see England play a different way. And we know that uh, based on how they've come out in the first five, ten minutes of each game, firing on all cylinders, trying to get the, that early chance. In two of the games, we've hit the post in the first five or ten minutes, right? And what's, it seems to me that what Southgate's want, Southgate wants to do is get a goal early and then manage the game. And if that, if that, if that works, why hey, not? Uh, I hope you're right. I, I hope you're right. I, I just worry about what happens if uh, if they were to fall behind to a to a France or to a Germany. That would worry me, just because I it feels like England don't create a lot of good chances. They have a lot of possession. And they have a lot of opportunities to create chances, but they don't necessarily create a lot of chances themselves. And when you're not creating those chances against, with the greatest respect, a kind of second tier group of nations, really, uh, Croatia aside, that's just a bit concerning. It just suggests that maybe I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not one of those people that thinks right. Well, you know, we should win every game in that group five 0 And you know, well, you, you actually literally, <laughs> How dare literally you? thought that. Didn't you? How dare you? Um, but I. I don't know. I just I I can't help but feel slightly disappointed. I'm delighted that England threw. Can't wait for the knockout rounds. Absolutely. I just listen yeah, to him, JJ. Yeah? Your team's know. out tonight. He's got seven points and they haven't conceded a goal and he's disappointed. Hey, Thomas Green wants to talk about Saka because he was brilliant. Yes, he was. Yeah, Thomas we, Green. we, we will talk very, about very Saka, good. but we need to go through a break first. Okay. Uh, so we will be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're back. And we're going to talk about Saka because he was really good, Seb. Yeah, very, very impressed. We actually, a while ago, do you remember when we had James McNicholas on the podcast when it was during the COVID lockdown, so we weren't videoing it? We were talking about... Ex- Jimmy McNicky. Jimmy McNicky. Top dog. Very good man. Uh, we uh, There's actually a poster of him at the Old Red Lion. Did you know that? Yes, there is. Every time I go into the flat, and it's usually about 12 o'clock, 12.30, I open the door, turn the light on, and there's this massive picture of, of James McNicholas. It scares the hell out of me every night. We should clarify that uh, he was acting in a show that uh, performed there, and that's why the, da- yeah. Uncle Damien doesn't just have a random photo of James <laughs> McNicholas in his, uh, his part. Is it the no. boxer? Was that what it was for no, it was uh, the... Uh, He's wearing a top hat. Can't remember. Can't remember what it's Is called. Is it the importance of being earnest, perhaps? Possibly. I'll take yeah. a picture of it later. Anyway, no uh, So uh, what was the question? Uh, Saka. Saka. Yeah. So we, we, I remember us talking to James about where his best position was because he was still operating between left back and left wing or sort of left midfield for mm. Arsenal. 
And between the three of us, we talked about how effective he might be coming off the right because he's got the pace and the ability to go outside, but he's got that quality, which means that when he knifes in towards the box, he's a problem and he yeah. drags defenders with him. And I, I just thought he was great. Uh, I still want to see Jaden Sancho, but he was, Saka was a really pleasant surprise tonight because I, I've, I feel like he's one of those players that we all rate and we all think is going to be good. And then there's a, I don't know, Arsenal, Arsenal is such a strange team that um, there's not a lot of substance to that. But I felt like this was a really mature performance. I agree with dangerous. that. His I think I, I worry that when I saw the lineup, I instantly thought of it as a defensive lineup because of how um, well Zachary's played it in the wing-back roles for Arsenal, right? Of, of how mature those sort of defensive, the defensive side of his performances have been. But that really, you know, not saying he didn't do well in that regard this evening, but... He was such a threat going forward. I mean, I love yeah. to watch players that are that age, particularly because I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's just no fear, is there? Every yeah. time he got the ball, just run at someone, run past someone. Then he would carry further and further and further. Uh, uh, you know, five five people passed after the point where we were shouting, "Pass it now!" Yeah. He was yeah, still yeah, going yeah, with yeah, the yeah. ball, and it was great to watch. He's kind of the opposite of me. So I'm talking about how wounded I am by past England experiences. Sure. Here's a guy that doesn't have any negative England experiences, <laughs> and look at the benefit. Look at the benefit. He was great. He was um, yeah. he was so positive. I think is um, yeah. take over before my voice goes. Please. Yeah, it's okay. going, it's going, it's going. It's I going, will do. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about <laughs> uh, with England is uh, just to ask you, JJ, about the the nice sort of uh, the broad differences between the the four three three and the the, the four two three one. Because as we said, it was a little bit of a system change today. It felt like England played slightly differently in the first half. Um, I would like to be, uh, you know, briefly schooled on what the sort of broad pros and cons are of that. Well, I was just looking at how the, I mean, I've not seen the match, so it, to make that clear, but it looks like in the substitutions that the only real time they could probably change that to a three in the midfield was when Bellingham came on. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Was that what it was? Yeah. yeah. So then you've got, well, then you've got, yeah, you, you have greater control of the midfield, sounds quite obvious, but it means you've got uh, someone who can sit deep in front of the defence, so you suddenly have... Like a, you can create a diamond straight away from the the back to, uh, or a triangle to back to to the um to the six, which I must assume must have been Phillips dropped in because Rice went off. Yes. Then you get Henderson on the other side of him, who's nice and busy. I mean, it's not. It's often it just suits the players you've got in. So you want to put Bellingham in midfield and get um, Grealish off. It's going to be not necessarily just to change the system, but just because that you want that player on. And you play Bellingham. Um, he's box to box. So we can do that. Grealish, you want him in more advanced places. You want him to yeah. receive the ball in the final third and turn, whereas you want Bellingham to get him a bit deeper because he can drive and that carries you forward in a different way. It might mean if you have the 10 that... Because um, uh, uh, Crit Republic always play with a double pivot. It's always Socek and his other boy, uh, Holes, is it? Plays there. So that's they can sort of keep Grealish quiet, which then means there's space if you're playing a 4-2-3-1 for other people to get into, but they mostly have to sit deep. So Phillips from touch maps looks like he was getting wide right sometimes, which is going to leave you a big space in the middle of the pitch for Rice to cover all on his own. So if you have a three rather than a two, you've got greater coverage defensively because you're covering both half spaces um, and your your sixth position. And it, you say it might invite teams out slightly more because you don't have the mm. 10 there. So that's one thing. There's That space behind the striker is gone. Mm. But when you remove this, the player from... So everyone says, oh, we need a 10. We need a 10 in our team. But actually, most teams play with two tens, and that's what Sterling and Saka are sort of meant to have been. Right. Because by leaving the space vacant, but not having a ten there, they can move into it. If you play with a ten, then the idea should be they rotate, and the other guys can move in. But the space is still there, so there's a good chance there'll be a defender marking that space. So I mean, I always like teams that play with a four-three-three, um, just because that I, I, I it just makes kind of a lot of sense to me. If you have the player positioned there, normally, I mean, the most oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, not stereotypical, but like archetypal mm -hmm. ten I can think of off the top of my head is like Raquel me. Yeah, yeah. Stan, like a trigger artist. Yeah. Yeah, it was just stand still and play like as a pivot. So rather than your pivot being at the base of the midfield where you play passes around, you have the pivot behind the striker and he would just stand still. <laughs> I don't know how to make a career out of it and get around to that way. JJ, when you like one of the things that fascinates me is is that rotation at the top of formation. Like you've got your coaching coaching qualifications. How difficult is that to teach? Because like presumably it, it involves a lot of timing, a lot of practice, a lot of drilling. Like how do you get players to do that in an effective way? At an elite level, I have no idea. But like but if, I, if yeah. I wanted to, if I wanted to coach a an amateur team, like 
What am I telling players to do? Is it just a question of, right, you stand there, you stand there, or you're moving here when the ball is over there? What, what, how, do you, how do you even begin to do it? Heap of different ways. So I think if we're talking about, so what I know of, of this sort of level or any level, right, we're talking about, so say you've got staff that you yeah. can help you with, you'd, you'd show them what you want on um, a video or some paper, show them what you want, or on the training pitch, You'd uh, be playing a game. It, most coaching is done in small-sided games, so you, you don't play eleven v eleven. You play four v four, five v five, seven v seven. So it's department against department, really. Uh, not necessarily, but right. you'd have. Um, so you, you'd make a smaller pitch. So you see, your so you cut off the pitch. So you've got, um, you cut it in in quadrants, say, and you're playing four v four in that area, and then you would get to a certain position. You're playing a diamond in this, and then you would blow your whistle, stop play, and say, "This is what I want you to be able to do here." Is this yeah. kind of thing. But what you often want to do is not tell <coughs> someone exactly what you want. You want them to figure it out themselves. There's two different kinds of thinking. Well, there's probably many different kinds of thinking. If you just tell them, they might not know when to do it. If you help them learn themselves when to go and how to do it. It's all to do with timing. And then you'll get different sessions. We have individual one-on-one -on -one sessions with people just working just with them. And you'll do shaping sessions as well, which is what the team shape generally will look like here. And then what you don't want to do, I think, is remove too much freedom from players... And especially in the final third, because if you if you start telling them this is what you have to do here and then, uh, opposition managers will figure it out, defenders will figure it out during the game, like that will happen, like like AI, this they will figure figure it out and stop <laughs> you. Um, so if you want to encourage, I think a bit of freedom, but you'll find with like Louis van Gaal's teams, for example, everything is controlled, yeah. everything, the movements, the rotations, when to go, where to go here. But good players just know when, and eventually it kind of works out. Mourinho's quite rigid as well, I think, and then Pep Guardiola. Is thought of as being very free flowing, but it's also very highly structured. However, when they get into the final third, the the structure is that the team has to have certain things: has to have width, has to have verticality, has to be at a certain tempo. Um, these are the rigid parts of it. But players are like the rotations are there, but they are not told when to do it. They just know when to go and how to how to do it, which takes a lot of. I would imagine repetition on the training ground to encourage uh, freedom of thought, even though you're rep repeating the. Would you say it's like the uh, the same difference between a, a director that uh, encourages actors to stick to the script versus a director that enjoys a little bit of improvisation around the script? I think that's exactly what I would say. I oh, think it's uh, I clever. like it's always sunny rather than like I don't know. Sure. Uh, Jam like it down his throat. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, we'll be back after this short break to discuss Scotland. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And we're back. And now it's time to enter the solemn part of uh, this evening's podcast. JJ. Hello. S Scotland won. Three Croatia. Now, uh, Seb and I haven't seen this, and, and perhaps some of the listeners haven't, haven't seen this either. Tell us what happened. Uh, Croatia have really good players. Luka Modric is... <laughs> he was unbelievable. Um, that goal, I saw that goal. Yeah, but the way he, he controlled the entire game, honestly, it's you can just tell that. Like we were talking on one of the other podcasts about certain players at like junior level are just so much better than like when you play five or seven with a pro, you're like, oh right, I get it now. That's yeah. a different, yeah. it's a different yeah. species of human to me. Yeah. Uh, at this international level, Modric was, uh, yeah, different, different. Um, I was now tell me, did, did I was Scotland meet? Uh, but that's not a different <laughs> Now tell me, did Scotland try to stop him from controlling the game? Um, not in the ways you kind of hoped for, like kicking him, but didn't do any of that. It yeah. was uh, so. Uh, so Modric was. They tend to play like they play like a three normally in the midfield, and it was a three, but they are playing it as a two and a one, Croatia. So rather than keeping Modric deep, and he was dropping deep a lot of the time, he was going into the ten space because, as we've highlighted one of our Tifo IRL preview videos. There's a lot of space that exists between the Scotland back three and the rest of the team. Um, and he just got in there occasionally. And it, when he was able to get on the ball there, the midfield didn't squish quickly enough. And they just, Croatia always has a player free. They just always had a player free. Um, and 
as good as Croatia were, I think Scotland, I were talking about this earlier with England, I think Scotland weren't brave enough. And I think they, I think some of the team selection was wrong. I think the, the changes should be made sooner. Uh, I think Steve Clark clearly, clearly knows a lot more than I do about everything in life. <laughs> uh, but I think, I wonder whether he might regret not making changes sooner. Like one, one example, Nathan Patterson came on in about the 80th minute, something like that, for Stephen O'Donnell when the game was gone. And yeah. immediately... It, it just turned the way Scotland were able to attack. Coincided with Croatia then sitting back a bit because yeah. the game was won, right? Was it already 3-1 by that point? It was, yeah. yeah. So you think, well, we'll just put him on. But um, uh, yeah, so he comes on straight away and then one of the first things he does is inside his own box, he's been pressed and he fakes to clear it and then does a little crowd turn, cuts back in, plays it short to Marshall who has time because no one's pressing him anymore because he thinks he's going to boot it away. And uh, Scotland are able to move up the pitch. Fraser runs towards goal. I think we'll almost get a chance out of it. Now that is the difference. That's why you play out from the back because that little bit of calmness, bravery in possession is exactly how you turn defence into attack rather than just humping it up the pitch, which is what they kept doing towards Dykes, who didn't do anything in the entire game. <laughs> I'm trying to not brim over yet. So like the ball's going to Dykes. Why is he on the pitch in 90 minutes? I think he headed the ball like three times and none of them went anywhere near anyone it needed to. Uh, Adams missed a chance about five minutes in, should have scored, and it's the kind of thing where like a really good a, a player. Like, I don't trying to make, how I mean not being really harsh to him. A player good enough to play in this <laughs> tournament would have scored that because yeah. you go through <laughs> it, you've read it, you read the pace of the ball, where it's going, and you anticipate it and you're going for it. It's almost seemed like it, the, the moment you sort of passed him by, almost like he was watching, like he wasn't in, he wasn't locked in, he wasn't in the game yet. And if he had been, if that had happened maybe in the 50th minute, he might have got it. But five's too early, he's not got it. So you could say that Billy Gilmore is a big mess blah 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 I've only seen him play one full game for Scotland so I think people going about that it's, don't worry about it but he's also very brave in possession will take the ball in tight spaces like Modric does turns and just means that players back off of you so you've got more space to be able to come out so you don't have to keep pumping it long to Lyndon Dykes who didn't do anything <laughs> uh, Tierney was good o O'Donnell um, really wanted to do well the problem that O'Donnell had in this game is again, I don't think he was being as brave as he was against England. He wasn't pushing forward enough. Whenever he got the ball, uh, if you watch it back, you'll see every pass he made is immediately to his left, about five yards, and then he scampers up the pitch, and no one wants to pass to him in that advanced area. Almost like they don't trust his first touch. Yeah. Uh, which is fair, but then you need to have, you need to be able to trust everyone. You need to be able to know that you can drive it as hard as you want, and he'll kill it, so you can go with it. Uh, they didn't do it. So then straight away, you're limited on the, on the right. Robertson couldn't really get the ball on the left, but the few times he did, he was excellent. He was able to press high and create things. But then you had Stuart Armstrong, who I thought he was wearing like inflatable shoes because he couldn't get the ball under control. <laughs> you know, sometimes like the ball just won't sit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you wonder, like, it just won't get under control. It's too bubbly. Yeah, it just won't. It just didn't sit for him. And I, that just that happens to you sometimes. It just, just wasn't his day. But then I, I would have taken Armstrong off earlier. I would have put on. I would have put on someone like Ryan Crispy. Crispy? <laughs> right, Crispy. Oh, no. I remember that one. <laughs> Ryan Crispy. Ryan Crispy. <laughs> Ryan Crispy didn't make an appearance. Uh, Ryan Fraser came on. He was decent. <laughs> How did you see? Crispy. We still have Fraser. fun. <laughs> I don't know. Ryan Christie. <laughs> Not Ryan Crispy. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I thought you I thought you. Uh, I thought you meant Ryan Fraser, but you no, said Ryan Christie. I said Ryan. <laughs> that would have made far less sense. Um, again, was good. McGregor was fine, but again, a little too safe with his passing. Needed to just take it forward a little bit more. It was all just too little. When McGregor yeah. scored, uh, I don't know. It was weird. Like I woke up this morning, and I thought we're going to win this. I've got a good feeling about it. I've got. I think we can do you it. Came bounding into the office. You were really, I just really knew positive. It. Just and then. It's just that Adams, he just was, he watched to go past him. I thought he was excellent in the game, though, Adams. Um, I'm, <laughs> I mean, there's no way he's listening, so does he, he won't care. Right. But yeah, he, he should have scored that. And then there's a couple of other things that just happened that could have gone our way. But I think clearly Croatia was just better, much better. And you have to look at the whole tournament, really. Scored one goal. Uh, I was worried we wouldn't score a single one before the tournament started. We got one, so that's good. Watching JJ react to Scotland's equaliser was what easily the best moment of the day. It was nice. <laughs> because we were we were watching on the TV and JJ was watching on his laptop just around the corner. And we had about twenty five seconds when we knew it was coming. Mm. And you could see his little face and just it was great. It was, it was nice great. to be able to watch it happening yeah. in live yeah, 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 time. Yeah, yeah. It was very it? exciting for me. A bit like playing Pokemon Go or something, you know? A little well, bit there's like one. That. You know? There's a chancey. Huh? 
yeah. crispy. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's uh, sad, isn't it? Would you say now, retrospectively, and not to sort of, you know, salt the wounds or anything, but would you say that uh, retrospectively that first game against the Czech Republic was the real opportunity? Because uh, we spoke about after that game, you felt that they had been uh, a bit too conservative. Seb also thought you were too negative about them after after the game, but that's really the one that would have made the difference, right? Because if, if Scotland had won that game in the way that the Czechs did, you would have ended up in the third game in the situation that they're in, which is not really needing to worry about going through or, or, or sorry, not going through. Uh, I mean, all the hindsight stuff's easy to... Sure. Yeah, the cliche of that. But, um, the weird thing is, like, I watched that game and I thought we were nowhere near good enough. I thought the only, only time we showed up was against England, but then I also think England was just dreadful and were happy just to take the draw for some reason. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, the qualification was the reason. Yeah, yeah. And then the first game, uh, <laughs> I think I don't know. I think there was things you should have done differently. O'Donnell again got like got hounded out. The one of the things I was going to say about O'Donnell, especially, it's not really on the same point, but I think one of the reasons he looked a bit off today, a bit nervous, was because he kept worrying about what Scott McTominay was doing behind him. And sure enough, it was between him and um, O'Donnell, O'Donnell and McTominay were at fault at the back post for the goal, the first goal that went in. They should. One of them should have had it. There's just a bit of a, a mix-up, cross lines. McTominay's not a centre-back. That's what happens. That's what you get. Um, uh, what was the original question? I just don't get it. <laughs> I, 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 I was impressed by Scotland. Like, I you remember, it's the first time they qualified for a tournament for 23 years. And I thought that, yeah. you know, okay, you didn't get the result today. And... <clears throat> The um, the Czech Republic game was a little bit of a missed opportunity, I felt, because both those goals were a little bit avoidable. I was going to say on certainly. that, so on the Czech Republic game, is that uh, I thought we were negative, but the XG shows that we absolutely you had the chances. Won the, should have won the game by a mile. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. And X, if that's a, a common theme, and I'd imagine it's probably the same, I've not seen the goals tonight, I mean, Croatia will have the great XG, a greater XG, but I think we'll have, should have scored maybe one more than one. And that's just when you get, it's, it's your striker's fault. If you can see too many, it's often the problem with your goalkeeper, or it's something structurally, and then if it's your XG is you're not scoring the goals, it's because you're not finishing them, and it's no amount of finishing coaching sessions is going to turn Lyndon Dykes into an international striker. Like he can, he's there to link the play. The reason he stayed on, I know why, is because you want to keep pumping the ball long to him, so he wins it and heads it on and moves yeah. it on, and yeah. that I mean it's entirely obvious why he's on, but. Uh, you need, I mean, Kevin Nisbet came on far too late as well, a poacher. So you, at some point you need a goal. Um, people always say, oh, just put another striker. I mean, it's all about the structure, how you get the ball into the box in the first place. And probably if you had Gilmore there in the first place, might be able to do more with it if you'd played Fraser from the start. Just play 3-4-3 three, three or something. Don't play three. Why is there still three at the back when they only, like, they don't need any more goals? Why are you still playing three defenders? Take what? one off. What does the next generation look like? What's the next cycle look like for Scotland, um, personnel-wise? Patterson's very good right back, so yeah. start straight away going to have. Like, he's genuinely. I think had really someone good. on the chat asking about him, and um, yeah. he's being connected with Arsenal, which is. Yeah, he. I think he could play that level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe getting ahead of myself. I, I think he could play that level now. I mean, I knew about Tierney for years. Yeah. Often Scotland players go under the radar. McGregor could play top six Premier League. Um, McGinn definitely could. Uh, and was going to say, yeah, like I knew Van Dyke could be there. Ayer at Celtic will go there. There's a few players that turn up. David Turnbull is one who who could play the Premier League. He's a good uh, player. He's like a ten or an eight. He's a really good season with Celtic. Patterson, Robertson, Tierney are obviously going to be just there. Um, I like Scott McKenna. He's a centre back at Nottingham Forest. Played at Aberdeen, but I think he'll keep improving. He he was a late bloomer, and I think he'll be at his best when he's about twenty eight, twenty nine. Okay. Um, need a different goalkeeper, I, I think. I wish Alan McGregor had played in this tournament, it would have made a big difference. I, then, I think underneath that, you need, there's still no strikers, really, in, in this problem. Turnbull's going to be a good creator. Is there a goal scorer coming through in Scottish football? Uh, not that I know of. There's a few, that are, there's always some, like when you go through like Wonder Kids and Football Manager, there's always some that are touted, but they never seem to turn into anything. It's disappointing. Okay. There's none that I know of coming through in Scotland. Not that I, not that I know of. I might be might be escaping me, but I mean Kevin Nisbet's quite a late bloomer as well. He, he's a he was playing lower league Scottish football, then he got promoted with his team, went to Hibs last season, and he he scored. So he, he was like one of the top scorers in the division lower league. Then he was one of the top scorers in the, the Premiership, and I, I think he was linked with a move to somewhere like Birmingham or something like that. And he would do really well, I think, at Championship level, mm. and could maybe be one of those like Kevin Phillips or something that just does manage to score loads of yeah. goals weirdly. Or who's that boy at Brighton for ages? Um, 
Glenn oh, uh, Tepe. <laughs> oh, Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray, yeah. that sort of player. Scruffiest and forward just score goals forever. I've, heard, I've yeah. heard about one. I think there's this player uh, a little bit older than the 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 norm, but they call him the the Bullard, and uh, they're thinking <laughs> about calling him up to the uh, to the coaching staff. You know, hey, yeah. Would you like me to tell you about the XG in this game? I don't think you're going to enjoy. Oh, no, this. tell me what the XG is. Uh, Scotland's XG was one point six one. Do you want to hazard a guess at what Croatia's was? Croatia's XG. So ours is 1.61. Uh, uh, I would guess 1.8. 0. 0.64. Oh, come on. Really? The Modric goal had an XG value apparently of 0. 0.09. That's a... The Perisic goal had a 0. 0.06. I the mean, mo- this, is, this is according to soccerblogger.com. Uh, someone else in the chat mentioned that, that, uh, that stat too, so I decided to look it up independently. Um, I think it's right. I feel like that Modric XG should be times by three. I've never seen a player who plays better with the outside of his right foot than Luka Modric. Sure. He makes it look so easy. Like when you when Luke, when you watch Luka Modric in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, JJ slumped back from the microphone. That seems entirely dejected. Mission accomplished. Anyway, should we back uh, off the? Let's Modric back off praise? Scotland now, yeah, let's, and let's uh, you know let's... we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about them in the future. Uh, but very briefly, let's um, let's uh, discuss this uh, situation with UEFA in uh, in Munich, Seb, which is a bizarre one, and kind of got my uh, goat this morning. Yeah, it's it's really annoying. Uh, so basically, for those who haven't been keeping up, um, head of the next game in Munich, the mayor of the city, um, Dieter Reiter, requested they made a request to UEFA to light up the Allianz Arena. In rainbow colours. It's sure. Pride Month in Germany. Pride Month. And UEFA have denied the request because of, quote, the political context it would create and the kind of the opposition it would suggest towards a, a new law in Hungary that, and I'm reading here, bans the sharing of any content seen as promoting homosexuality and gender change to under-18s. Uh, I don't really know what to do with that because I, I find it, I mean... Why? Why is why? Like what? what it's just stupid. What are you way for? I, I can't. I can't do the mental gymnastics to rationalise that. I don't. No. Help me out. Like I. Well, all I will say is that I was um, I was uh, looking through Twitter earlier, and I think it was Jonathan Harding who tweeted the best tweet about this all day, uh, which summarised my feelings entirely. Which was just go on Munich, do it anyway, and I, I hope they do. I really yeah. hope they do. That's, that's I, I, yeah. like hundred percent. Just get people around the world to pay the fine. I'll chip in for the fine. I, happily, yeah. yeah. I think it's ridiculous. So There's another thing like um, it's disgusting. The the actual UEFA Twitter. I mean, obviously they're not. I mean, social media companies aren't the same as the actual bodies, right? But then the UEFA uh, Twitter was last year, maybe two years ago, was pointing out someone was trying to call out something to do with why are you doing this mm-hmm. for the LGBTQ community? I saw this. Yeah. yeah, and they said, well, because sometimes you need to stand up for those need that sort of thing. Yeah. And now they're, yeah, it's, it really winds me up. So uh, German football has reacted. So a couple of clubs around the country are going to light up their stadiums, not quite in the same way as the Allianz Arena, because obviously that's pretty unique um, sure. uh, stadium. But they're going to light up their grounds in a similar fashion as best they can. So that's quite nice. But I I don't know. There's some strange old tweets coming out of Hungarian government that I've seen on, on Twitter um, about talking about sort of common sense and inverted commas. And I just think like maybe like, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the vocabulary, I don't think. Put it this way, if we weren't live streaming and or if we, and we I'm started very aware this live that we are stream, live streaming. No, so. no, what, what I'm going to say is if we, if we had started the live stream with the disclaimer on, I would be saying some, <laughs> some, some strong, pretty punchy strong things. words yeah. about how I feel about this. And as Jonathan Harding said, I do hope they anyway. do it anyway. Uh, that's, that, would be, that would be fantastic. And you know, in many ways, I guess, would be an even bigger statement. But... Um, it's just it's just one of those things that you see, and this happens too often with UEFA, uh, where you read something about something that's happened, and you just feel like, oh, for God's sake, for God's sake. Yeah, they um they do make you roll your eyes a bit, don't they? It's um. Well, do you know what else makes me roll my eyes? Points, because they're so bad, and I've gained so many of them today, <laughs> and I almost don't want to do this bit, but let's do it anyway. Points are bad. I gained eight points today. No. Eight bad, bad points. Uh, Another sing song? 
points up. <laughs> no, I don't want to sing this song. JJ. I'm unhappy. They're really, really bad. <laughs> they are really bad. He thought they were good, and I said, points no, no, they're good. bad. You don't want them. They're bad. Uh, I am in last place on 70 points now. Okay, I've gained a lot of points, uh, mainly because I have faith in England to score five goals, and that was... That was the right thing to do. That was the right decision to make. It's just a painful one. I've made a sacrifice for the country. It's no big deal. No big deal. Uh, but I did also are you, are gain quite a lot of points. A moral victory on the other game. points are bad. I think I said <laughs> Scotland would win three one as well. So you know, I got the the score line right, but the wrong way around. So yeah, extra trouble for me. Eight points gained. Seb, uh, we were equal yesterday. You had a great day. You only gained three points today. You're on 65. Nice. Uh, so well done to Seb. He stole my earlier tactic of, say, 1-1 for everything. And yeah. it worked out very well for you. Hey, very, very clever. Good yeah. job. Well done. Thank you. Uh, JJ, you uh, gained also five points today. The same number of points as Alex. So you're just one behind Alex in 60. Alex is on 59. And there's all to play for in points are bad. There's only 11 points separating the worst, which is me, uh, with the most bad points from Alex, the least bad Points. Wait, I gained five points. So if I hadn't done that stupid England Euro '96 thing just to be funny yesterday, <laughs> I'd have been the lead by miles. Maybe you, were. Ah! Maybe you were. Also, if you hadn't kept forgetting to make predictions <laughs> and incurring, I think now twelve penalty points, yeah, I think so, you yeah. would be in the lead by miles. Can we do predictions today then, so I don't forget? Yes, we can. Today. The predictions are for this evening before we finish tomorrow's game. It's got a fun game. Fun game tomorrow. Last day uh, before a couple of days off, and uh, it's going to be a real nice one to round off the first 13 days of the tournament. Uh, let's begin, JJ, with uh, Group E's fixtures of Slovakia versus Spain. Nil one to Spain, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sweden versus Poland. Uh, the game with all to play for. Uh, one, two. One to Sweden, two to Poland. Correct. Okay, and I'll, I'll throw those over to you there. Seb? I would also take a one nil to Spain against Slovakia, mm-hmm. but I like... Poland to also win 1-0 okay. over Sweden. Okay, fine. You're really playing it tight now, aren't you? Because you felt afraid when we were close together. Points are bad. Points are bad. What I need to do, actually, <laughs> is look at the... Uh, what's the table look like? I I, I have no idea. For Spain Grady. need to win. Uh, and everyone needs to win, basically. Uh, everyone needs to win. Sweden are probably already through unless they get an absolute pasting. Because so they're yeah. already in four points. Oh, group it. Yes, they are. So, oh, Spain are on two points. Spain have to so win. So, Spain have to win. And Slovakia, uh, zero goal difference, but probably need a point at least. Okay. In which case, I'm going to say that that result will be 1 1. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Slovakia will make it through. Spain won't make it through. 1 1. Uh, Sweden, Poland. Are you sure I can't interest you in a 4 4? Mm, a 4 4, you yeah, say? A 4 4. No, come on. Who would do something as crazy as that? For the country? 3-3 uh, three, three maybe for the country, but uh, I'm not from Sweden. Uh, Sweden? I'm not from Slovakia or Spain. Poland, Sweden. I'm going to say that is, uh, it's got classic nil-nil written all over it. Yeah? 8-3. Nil-nil. 8-3? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Uh, the next set of fixtures. Uh, Group F, please, uh, JJ. We've got Germany, Hungary, go. Uh, I want Germany to win this one well. Okay. I'm going to say 3-0. Oh! Oh, okay. And oh, that's a weird noise. And Portugal, <laughs> France. I thought it was in a carry on film for Crispy. a Oh, and what do you say about Portugal, France, JJ? Uh, nil, nil. Nil, nil. Oh. Uh, Seb, Germany, Hungary, please. Your current homeland versus Hungary. Um, 4 0 Germany. Yeah, okay. And Portugal, France. 2-0 France. Oh, all right. Out you go, Portugal. Uh, Germany, Hungary, I'm going to say 2-0 Germany. And uh, Portugal, France, I am going to say 2-2. T- 2-2. <laughs> <laughs> so afraid two, of big two. numbers all of a sudden. 2-2. Uh, that is... Oh. <sighs> that is the end of the episode. There we go. Goodness me. One more day. Uh, we will be live streaming throughout the rest of the, the month. Every game day, we will be here. We're about to approach a break day, so you'll be rid of us for a couple of days' time, which is going to be everyone nice. It's in everyone's best interest. That it we, really yeah, is, yeah. Away for a couple yeah of I felt sick before this started. Yes. Um, and no, I feel better, which I think is in uh, great thanks to uh, JJ Bull. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
<laughs> You'll come back, won't you, even though Scotland won't? I'll be back better than ever. Yeah. Stronger, with <laughs> robotic hit. parts. <laughs> You'll be here tomorrow. Yes. And yeah. a heart of gold. A heart of stone. Yes. And gold. Yes. Because you often find gold inside of stone. And uh, Seb, thank you. No problem, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, of, as usual, to our production team of uh, Don and Sol over there. There's Sol's hand. That's a lovely hand. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to go. Sure. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs>